Once the king of streaming services, Netflix is now bleeding subscribers. This week on Download This Show, why is everyone quitting Netflix? And what is being done to win us back? Plus, we're used to them in mobile games, but there are talks that Xbox and PlayStation are about to put ads in our console games too. We also take a look at legislation the EU is introducing that means social media companies will have to tell us all their algorithm secrets. And not too far in the future, people using self-driving cars might be allowed to watch TV at the same time. All this and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Ray Johnston and welcome to download this show. It is a new episode of Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, and it is a pleasure to welcome our guests for today. We have Alice Clark, award-winning journalist and game reviewer. Welcome back, Alice. Thank you so much for having me, Ray. And we have Sam Kozlowski, founder, co-founder rather, of The Daily Oz. Thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. Now, Netflix has reported a huge drop in subscribers and has also come out and warned that millions more people are about to quit the streaming service. What is going on here? Why is Netflix losing money and subscribers, Sam? It's funny, I was watching the final episode of We Crashed last night and there was a great line in there that said that the problem with unicorns is that they're not real. And I think that the same <laughs> principle applies to Netflix. It's, um, it's proving hard to continue on the growth trajectory that the streaming giant was on. Um, and I think, you know, there's only so many human beings in the world to, who want to stream. And the fact that they haven't been able to grow as quickly as possible has made them look at other ways to derive some revenue. And that is going to mean we might not be able to share passwords. Oh, okay. So it's basically the same problem that pyramid schemes run into. They, they've just ran out of people, essentially. Is that what's happened, Alice? Oh, completely. But also, I think a lot of what Netflix is forgetting is we've just had two years of being locked in our homes and watching nothing but Netflix. And now we have been released into the world. Petrol is expensive. And so we have to pick one. <laughs> uh, like, but yeah, uh, Netflix never really made money for as long as it was streaming, as none, like most other streaming services aren't making money either. And they're starting to realize that spending $4 million per episode of television where people are standing in a room talking might not be sustainable. So what is the plan? How are they going to dig themselves out of this? Are they, are they going to create new people? Are they going to access our DNA and, and clone them somewhere in a factory and make them subscribe to Netflix? Obviously not. <laughs> Sam, what, what is the plan? So they've been rolling out this interesting trial in some South American nations. I think it was Chile, Bolivia, Peru, a couple of those countries of this password sharing mitigation model, which is not as bad as we all think. 
It's not that we can't share passwords ever. It's just that Netflix will be able to tell that, you know, my ex-girlfriend still uses my Netflix account and will charge me as the account holder a fee. So a couple of dollars, I think the model in South America has been kind of like two Australian dollars a, a month, very small amounts of money for me to be able to distribute my account per user. Um, so it, it is kind of stepping into that password protected territory. The other way that it's thinking about making money is putting ads in programs that are on cheaper subscription packages. So you could be paying a dollar a week for Netflix, but you might have ads like you do on some of the commercial channels when you're watching streaming on, you know, 10 play on nine now and that could be another way for them to make money. But if we look at the economics, the, the value of the company is still 100 billion US dollars. So it's still an absolute giant, but it is down from a $300 billion valuation just last year. So they really, really need to work out ways to, uh, to start asking us for more cash. Now, that ads point is interesting because there are other streaming services that do run ads, but how is that generally received by viewers? Are we okay with paying for a service and then also seeing ads, Alice? Historically, no. (laughs) Some people are going to do it. Uh, Some people are going to go back to the bad old days where, oh no, cable's too expensive and I don't want to watch ads. Guess I'll pirate it then. We've come full circle. And I'm not saying that that's good, but I am saying that that's what a lot of people are going to choose to do. If Netflix is no longer cheap, easy and ad-free, they're going to find alternatives. And they've just basically reinvented the cable bundle. So that's where we are. But I would say there, though, that if users feel like they're getting real value out of the platform, that we could see kind of in the same way that people, are, you know, spend money on vinyl records, they really appreciate If people are really in love with their streaming, then maybe we'll see some users come along for the ride. But I think that I think that you're right on that on that point of kind of across the board adoption of this. Mm. There's a reason why ad Spotify is not a medium paid tier of Spotify. It's the free tier of Spotify. So Netflix are also planning to stop us from sharing our accounts, as you've mentioned. But how do they know? I'm, I'm really curious. How does this actually work, Alice? So it's a combination of checking your IP address, so seeing what internet connection you're using and looking at the different devices you're using. Uh, so not sharing passwords works fine in a situation where it's mum and dad watching a movie downstairs and the kids in their rooms watching different things. But it doesn't work in the situation of a child of divorce or a business traveler or just somebody who likes to go things and watch thing, watch their subscription service wherever they are. It's very hard to crack down unless you stop people from being able to make their streaming service portable. And Netflix isn't the only streaming service out there anymore. You know, part of the popularity in the beginning was they were they were it. They were basically the only one. And, and now we've got so many options. We've got too many options, some could argue. Is this push from Netflix to introduce ads, stop sharing, you know, make the service more expensive even, is it enough to have you considering becoming one of the people that quit, Sam? Well, I think it just goes to that point about the original content and, you know, if they're creating these rock star TV shows that you need to watch to be part of the conversation at uni or at a dinner, they'll actually, 
you know, work out a way to retain us. It's going to be about whether we want to watch the next season of Bridgerton or, or any of the shows that really pull viewers. I actually back them here. I think that they have shown time and time again that they can create hits to keep relying on their content to, to make us pay for it. I mean, you know, my parents, for example, ex-Foxtel subscribers, they now pay for Netflix. So I think that there's enough mum and dads out there um, to share the accounts with even, and you know, they might be happy with the two, $3 a week um, because they are so reliant on their streaming services. Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And having an ad pop up while you're playing Candy Crush, for example, is one thing. But imagine settling in under a blanket on the lounge, loading up a game, ready to explore a whole new world, escape from reality for an hour or so while you you tame some robot dinosaurs and uncover a mystery or two. And suddenly you're confronted by a giant billboard for Amazon. It might not look exactly like this, but there are rumbles underfoot that Xbox and PlayStation are looking at introducing ads into console games. But is this definitely happening? How do we know what's being planned, Alice? This week there was a new report that claimed that Microsoft is building an advertising program to give select brands um, the ability to buy ads that will then appear in free-to-play Xbox games. Uh, And that all sounds kind of scary and bad because there are very few places you can go to escape ads these days. But I already play racing games and mobile games and I'm kind of used to being bombarded with ads in games. Like anybody who played Death Stranding's very weird monster energy drink level. <laughs> yes. Or to say that this isn't a new thing. It's just a bad thing that we should have less of. Now, just for clarity, there was a, a level in Death Stranding where <laughs> you sat in a room and there was monster energy drink ads all around the room and also cans of the monster energy drink and you would just drink it. It was absolutely bizarre. But Sam, how would ads in console games work? Would they all look like that monster energy room? Well, I guess it's the same discussion that you know we're having in, in journalism, for example, of do you natively in integrate the ad content like in the monster energy room do you have billboards around the cityscape when you're running through stealing cars in grand theft auto all those kind of things or do you say this next level is brought to you by monster energy uh you know scan this qr code for 50 percent off your next can at 7-eleven that kind of stuff that's the really big battle here and and what i think actually is that young gamers are going to respond better to a bit more transparency in the advertising i think you know there's a certain consensus around millennials that we're okay with branded content if we're being treated with dignity in the way that that content is presented. So I think it's my hunch that we're going to see kind of the gaming world follow this model of, you know, transparent ads, that that would be the best situation I can imagine. Is there a precedent for this? Have we had you know, anything on this kind of level existing in games before that has been done well, would you say, Alice? Um, well, done well is such a strong way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> it was done very badly in Saints Row where they tried to have real-world billboards. That did not go down well. But I think it actually does go quite well in sports games. 
So I play a lot of NBA games and F1 and Forza Motorsport. And those ads are what you would expect to see on the side at a basketball game or at a racing game. So it just feels natural and like the real world. And suddenly I know where I want to buy a stapler from. (laughs) Like it's just... Yeah, if you do it in a natural way that feels good, then it's okay. But my concern is that it might go the way of free-to-play mobile games where for every two minutes of game you play, you have to watch this 30-second ad about the weirdest mobile game you could have ever thought of. Then when you download it, it looks nothing like the game that was in the ad. Oh, completely. (laughs) Like suddenly that weird merge mansions game or something where the woman she murdered her husband and now the daughters come to live and she's pregnant and then there's like 10 people and then her house catches fire and then you go to play the game it's just like a match two colors thing disappointing so i think what we've concluded is that if if it is natural obvious advertising for real world products we're going to avoid creating a horde of angry gamers but if we try to do it sneaky or trick them or make it look like mobile game ads there's going to be problems sam that's exactly right and and as i said before this is not isolated to gaming i mean we're having these discussions about cinema you know do we want more integrated content you know, do we want James Bond to keep wearing a Rolex or do we just want ads before the movies? And and as somebody who works in news and in journalism, this is something we talk about every single day. You know, native content, because this is what we're talking about, is, is native content, is a massive issue to, and it goes to trust. So will you trust your gaming providers to provide you with the best storylines, the best game possible, if you're second guessing everything as an ad? You are listening to Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston and I am joined by award-winning journalist and game reviewer Alice Clark and Sam Kozlowski, co-founder of The Daily Oz. And now there's new EU legislation that does appear to be forcing social media companies to reveal some of their most well-protected secrets. Sam, what is the Digital Services Act? What does it include? So ultimately, this is some legislation that has been agreed on, but it's kind of been agreed on in broad terms. We haven't seen the specific nuts and bolts of it, and it's going to force tech companies to take responsibility for the content that appears on the platform. So the way I kind of, I had a a preliminary look at some of the outlines and the way that I kind of understood it was almost like having to provide a URL address for the way that different things appear on social media. Um, the the aim here is, is clearly about transparency, but it's also about illegal content. That was quite a big focus of the legislation. You know, what advertising material can be shown to minors, um, as in kids, not those who dig, um, and you know, different ways in which we regulate gambling to those who might have gambling addictions and all those kind of things. So taking a leaf out of the personalization book that the social media companies have made so much money on and making sure that its users are protected. So if this only applies to the EU, will we see the impacts worldwide? I can only assume that these giant social media companies aren't going to develop one version of their platform for EU countries and and one for the rest of the world, Alice. 
Yeah, so kind of like how every time we go to a website, we now have to agree to cookies. We will definitely see some flow-on effects in Australia, and it also will make it easier for our government to pass similar laws if they so choose, because the framework will already be there for the social media companies, and we're a small enough market that if we tried to do it on our own, they would say, "Mm, we're just not going to do Australia anymore. But now that they're having to do this anyway, we can do that and join in and grab onto those coattails and have better internet, maybe. Better internet? That's a bold claim. Better internet. (laughs) Well, look, let's... Better is a relative term. (laughs) Like, doesn't have to be that much better, but just less targeted ads on bad things would be nice. So what kind of impacts is this going to have on the social media companies? I I can't imagine this is the kind of thing they want to be doing, that they've factored into their budgets. Revealing these secrets as well isn't something that they'd really want to be doing, right, Sam? Definitely. But it goes to that point of with great power comes great responsibility. And that was kind of what President Ursula von der Leyen said in a statement. She basically made that point. Um, you know, that we need these companies to open up their back end um, and the companies won't be happy with it because in that back end is, of course, all the secrets of the ways they make their money. Um, And we know kind of in the social media ad world that there's different ways that they try and get more money out of their users, but we don't know for certain. And one of those mystical uh, ideas that we often talk about is the algorithm. You know, what... How does the how do these social media companies prioritize what content to put up in front of the users? And that's as a publisher who uses social media, that's something that I'm desperate to find out about. And the theory here was that under the Digital Services Act, the algorithm could be exposed. And that is certainly not something the social media companies want. That is their secret source. And you do often see a lot of Instagram influencers or self-appointed social media experts often as well saying that they have inside information about how the algorithms work and special tips and tricks that you need to do. That would kind of put them out of business too, wouldn't it, Alice? One can only hope. (laughs) Uh, But they're... These companies aren't having to show all of their algorithm. They're having to explain it better to users and having to reveal it more to researchers. But this doesn't suddenly mean that everyone will know how to make sure their picture of a latte will be at the top of everyone's feed. It just means we might slightly better understand how extremist misinformation is getting fed to people. Getting people to care is going to be another thing, but we'll understand it better. The only way it's a bad thing is if the social media platforms totally withdraw, which is kind of what we saw in the aftermath of the news bargaining code where Facebook literally just said, well, if you're trying to crack down on us too much, uh, we're out. And they shut down all news offerings on the platform. They haven't given an indication that they're going to shut down all their operations in Europe. This legislation is also good because it looks at all social media platforms. It's not Facebook specific. So, you know, Google will need to consolidate this, Snapchat, TikTok. Um, So they're kind of all in it together. Uh, But yeah, it's a good thing. 
Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And self-driving cars are here. It is officially the future. And while most of us still aren't that comfortable with the idea, even in general, the latest proposed update to the UK's highway code just kind of makes it worse, really. What is this update that's being proposed, Alice? So you can now, well, they're proposing that soon, while your car is driving itself, you could watch TV and movies on the screen in your car as long as you're willing to take over when a notification pops up telling you to do so. <laughs> so why would anyone think that this could ever be a good idea? You know, surely this does not seem safe, Sam? Well, I guess it's not that far of a stretch from what we're currently proposing, which is that self-driving cars kind of take control of the wheel and get us from A to B. This is almost, you know, I, I actually don't think it's that much of a development. The fact that you'll be watching something. Um, I can imagine if I was in a self-driving car and it knew exactly where I was going and I had faith in the car that it wouldn't crash on its way there, I would probably get my phone out and scroll or I'd write out some emails or something, um, you know, it's it doesn't seem to be that far from from what will realistically happen um, if a car is is in control of, of where we're going. I think this is just so far removed from anything I would ever want to do. First of all, because I love driving, I love the idea of being in control of a vehicle. So relinquishing that control, as much as I love technology, still seems a little way off for me personally. And then to just disengage from everything that's happening on the road, I don't, I don't think I can do it. Alice, could you? do it? This is the worst idea I have ever heard. <laughs> um, Self-driving cars sound like such a good idea in theory, and they work really well in controlled environments with fresh line markings and pedestrians who only wait patiently at the lights and no cyclists and no small children and no rain. We don't live in that world. Fully self-driving cars are not a safe reality on actual real roads yet. And I don't think they ever will be no matter what Elon Musk or Uber claims like there are currently, so I was looking it up according to the national law review, there are 9.1 driverless car accidents per million miles driven as opposed to 4.1 in regular vehicles. And granted knows people, many people die in those accidents, but there's still more accidents. Once you make it legal for people to pay even less attention to what their car is doing, it is going to be chaos. This is just really irresponsible. There have been a lot of reports out about the amount of trust that people have in self-driving cars, and it is still very, very low. It's, and it's been compared to when the uh, plane industry, when the, when the commercial airline industry first started. And what they had to do was actually report into a central body any discoveries that they made about how the planes operate in the air. So altogether all of these companies could become a lot safer. We're not doing that with driverless vehicles. There's no central body that's making everyone report on everything that pops up, all the issues that they're having with their algorithm, all those safety things that are being flagged. Do you think that that's something that would need to happen for us to get to a point where everyone would be as comfortable as you, Sam? 
<laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think that there's definitely um, a need for the law to catch up in this department. Um, we, you know, this kind of this news story popped up in the headlines because of the Law Commission in the UK who published recommendations on how the law could catch up. And we haven't really seen anything too similar in Australia, but I'd say it's still pretty early days. The other point I would say in defence of self-driving cars, and I don't really mean to be a (laughs) pin-up boy for the self-driving car movement, but human error does contribute to 88% of road collisions, uh, according to car safety experts in the UK. I don't know the stat in Australia, but I mean, like if we think about that, um, it's clearly not a foolproof system that we currently have. So I would hope that the technology develops that it could take into account a bit of rain. It took, it could take into account, you know, a, a, a pedestrian who steps out at the wrong time and in the same way that, that human error and now human brain has to. It kind of takes us to the point of responsibility though, doesn't it? Because we, we think about human error in regular vehicles. It's, it's a given. We're in control of those cars. If it's a self-driving car, who is responsible if there's an accident? Is it the manufacturer? If we're distracted and we can't engage manual safety features because we are watching television, is it our fault, Alice? Legally, yes, it is our fault. Uh, that's also part of the Law Commission's uh, findings. But I just, I think I'm all for some level of autonomous cars helping you. I think. But there's five different levels of autonomous driving uh, where one is alerting you to things and five is it drives for you. And I think going to like that middle level is really good. So you are in control of the car. The car is your responsibility. You are paying attention. You are not watching a movie. Good God. Um, but <laughs> if somebody steps out right in front of you or there's a car to your right that's suddenly out of control and the car senses it before you do, the car can break. I am fully for the car assisting you to drive. I am completely against until the technology catches up and you never know, maybe we will have self-driving cars one day in about 10 years when there's more research and more work done on roads, but we're just not there. And it's so premature to be introducing this kind of thing. Sam, as the new pinup boy for the self-driving car (laughs) industry, I would love to know if you were in an accident and the person in the other vehicle was watching a movie when that accident happened, how would you feel? Would you be okay with that? I, I, w- I wouldn't be okay if there was an accident and the person was driving to the best of their ability. So, I mean, you know, there, there's never a point. I mean, even in those situations where people have medical incidents and it causes a crash and, it, you know, the fact that they had a stroke or a heart attack is not their fault. But as the person who would be injured by that, I wouldn't necessarily feel okay with that or feel that it was justified. So I think it's just like, you know, really moving the flagpoles here of of what's tolerable or not. Um, I, I don't think anyone would feel okay after a collision. So I guess my point here is that, if there's a way to get that human error out, um, we're never going to have a perfect road and we're never going to have a perfect, foolproof, safe environment. But I think technology is there to help us. I mean, you know, we have been using cruise control 
uh, in cars for a long, long time. Totally, Alice. That's a long way from watching mm-hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the back seat while the, <laughs> while the car's <laughs> heading down the M1 at 100 kilometers an hour. But um, I'm more a fast yeah, and the furious girl myself. Wouldn't that be but funny? Yeah. <laughs> Um, But, you know, I just don't think we should dismiss it straight away. (laughs) Well, that is all that we have time for on the show today. Thank you again to Alice Clark, award-winning journalist and game reviewer. Always lovely to speak with you. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Ray. It was great. (laughs) And Sam Kozlowski, co-founder of The Daily Oz. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Ray. And I take no legal responsibility for anybody (laughs) watching a movie in their car. Just wanted to clear that one up. Now, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. I'm Ray Johnston, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show. 